0: Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae, proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland, on News Talk.
1: Now, we've all had moments in our lives that feel more random, whether good or bad. We've thought to ourselves, what are the chances of that happening? And the truth is that humans are awful at probability and therefore making educated guesses about the future. Well, Dr. Kit Yates is a mathematician and researcher at the University of Bath, and he's here to help us with that. He's the author of How to Expect the Unexpected, The Science of Making Predictions, and The Art of Knowing When Not To. Uh, Welcome to the program, Kit. I mean, it, it is true that that humans are really bad at probability because of a bunch of reasons but a lot of inbuilt biases right
0: yeah absolutely we are um, we're not good probability machines we are programmed to look for patterns and uh, in noisy data sometimes completely random data we tend to find patterns so sometimes I think people look at for example um cancer cases on, on, a, on a map of the town and um, and they see a cluster of cancer cases and they say, oh, there must be something in that area that's causing that cluster. And so they go searching for power lines and they draw incorrect conclusions about something that must be causing this cluster. But actually, clustering is an inherent part of randomness and, and we, we're just spotting these patterns where there are, actually aren't any. And,
1: and so why did you want to make this point? What's the point of the book?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I love hearing people's stories particularly events like coincidences or unintended consequences things places where people have drawn the wrong conclusions or made bad predictions about the future so I wanted to tell those people's stories but also to share with the readers the ways that they could make better predictions and better decisions for themselves and subtly to hint that my subject which is maths is a good foundation for thinking about how to make these predictions
1: right so let's jump in let's talk about some of the biases that uh, humans experience and how it stops them from making uh, good guesses. So um, sure. tell me a little bit about the maths behind probability and the biases we have.
0: Yeah, so we are A, not very good at spotting Randomness at discerning what is random, what isn't. So I guess that clustering example. Um, And we're also overly surprised by things like coincidences. So uh, when something seemingly unusual happens to us, we get a surprise and then we tend to jump to a conclusion. So it might be you see in a piece of toast, a picture of uh, what something that looks a bit like a bearded man, if you squint, and then you jump to the conclusion that that is Jesus. And therefore there's a message sent from God, god to you through your toast which is quite an inconvenient way to send the message um <laughs> but sometimes we get co- fooled by coincidences and i suppose the ma- one of the main points uh, to emphasize is that coincidences are actually surprisingly likely okay given enough opportunities even incredibly unlikely events can happen and you know to take an example the lottery for any one person to win the lottery yes it's incredibly unlikely but because lots of people are playing the lottery someone wins most weeks so yeah coincidences are perhaps more likely than we we think and we should learn to expect them
1: yeah and i think um you know these unlikely things as you sort of hinted to can sometimes lead to really dramatic um sort of discoveries we 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 covered this um on the program a few months ago where you know people were getting locked up in jail for crimes they didn't commit because they just happened to be in the wrong place in the wrong time and mm. uh, and we've seen with um with covid that people are you know jump to conclusions when something happens and they say oh well this is because of a vaccine uh, problem or um uh, we see a lot of conspiracy theories focus mm. on something that is unlikely but but does
0: happen um yeah and yeah, um, get over that there's a particularly tragic case of Sally Clark um who was sent to jail for killing her two infant sons yeah. Uh based on a dodgy statistic, basically based on um the idea that um there was a, a very low probability of having one child die from sudden infant death syndrome, which is a sort of unfortunate but innocent explanation for why a child might die. Um and then the the, the expert statistician said, Well, the probability of one dying is one in four thousand, and so the probability of two dying, he just multiplied those two um probabilities together and got one in uh, a you know, huge number. He said it was something like winning the national the grand National four times in a row with a 40 to 1 outsider, so extremely unlikely. But he made a number of mistakes. Firstly, obviously, if you have one child die of, of sudden infant death syndrome, then you have some of the risk risk factors associated with sudden infant death syndrome. So you're more likely to have a second child die. So those events are not independent. And secondly, he he made a, 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 a an assumption called the prosecutor's fallacy, which is to sort of neglect the fact that there are other possible explanations. And also that the other the, you know, the, the probability of murdering two children is even less likely than having two children die from sudden infant death syndrome. So when you're weighing those two things up, the probability of Sally Clark's innocence actually became much, much higher, and and eventually her conviction was overturned. But unfortunately, there was a, a huge amount of damage done along the way. So, yeah, not understanding probability can get people into into real serious difficulties um, in the law courts and in in other arenas as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, and that's a really tragic case. But we see it in in more flippant things too. Uh, Paul the octopus predicting yeah. um, World Cup results. And, and I, I, I love this story because it was something that we were talking about quite a lot on the radio program that I was doing mm. at the time because it's a, it's a great talking piece, this supposed uh, octopus that would, uh, I, I don't know, I can't remember if it, it picked a particular flag or went to the food yeah. that was closest to a particular flag, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, that, yeah. and that was Paul predicting the results. And and it was better than average, or at least yeah, better yeah. Than 50-50.
0: Yeah, it was doing really well. Uh, I think in, in the first tournament it predicted all of Germany's eight results correctly, wins or losses. Uh, and then the next one it predicted 6 out of 8 so so overall it did 14 out of 16 correct predictions which seems you know given it's a, it's a, it's a binary choice one in one and two and they weren't accounting for draws in this case uh it seems incredibly unlikely that that should happen but um this is a, an example of something called survivorship bias where we only see the the successes in life if you like so there are lots of other menageries or zoos putting their animals up for world cup predictions simon the octopus dave the parakeet whatever whatever it is uh picking out food or you know doing a task to predict a world cup match but, of course, as soon as they fail to make a correct prediction, it's not a story okay when it happens early on, whereas Paul doing six or eight correct in a row, that became the story. but of course, there are tons of other animals and actually, there's a mathematician called Matt Parker who, for the twenty eighteen world Cup, I think he got he enrolled tens of thousands of people uh, to get their pets to predict certain uh, of England's World Cup matches I think it was and eventually they came up with one which had done really really well but it's not surprising when when you get again it's this idea of incredibly unlikely events can happen as long as you give them enough opportunities and in particular they seem even more unlikely when you only see the ones that win so we should be a little bit skeptical of you know YouTubers and influencers who are saying to us you know if you just try your best and try really hard and and follow your dream then you'll be successful because of course we don't see see all the influencers who tried to follow their dream but eventually ran out of money and had to go back to their day jobs so yeah you need to be a little bit careful with survivorship bias
1: yeah and i but i use that sometimes to justify you know a, a plot line in a movie when my kids say oh that would never happen i'd say it happened to you know a thousand other james bonds and they all died but we're telling the story of the thousand and one james bond who, yeah. who actually managed to make that giant leap or whatever you know and yeah so that's survivorship
0: bias what is normalcy bias so yeah, so normalcy biases are propensity to assume that things will continue in the same way that they are at the moment or will continue to change at a relatively constant rate, which has probably been true for many situations for for large parts of human history. You know, things really didn't change at such a rapid pace. You probably did, you know, used to do the same jobs that your parents would be doing and your children would do the same jobs. Um, and it's linked to a phenomenon called linearity bias, where we assume that things will will change at a constant rate. And it's really pernicious when it comes to um, disaster events, for example. So the Titanic, um, lots of lifeboats went out underfilled in, in the early stages of the, the Titanic disaster where when the ship was sinking and it wasn't because they launched them too quickly it was because people wouldn't come forward because they really struggled to shake this idea that they were going to america they've been told that it was an unsinkable ship and despite being told the ship's sinking you need to leave the ship they just couldn't they just couldn't get this into their heads and they exhibited a phenomenon some people exhibited a phenomenon which is called negative panic where they just stayed very calm the band played on and uh yeah and they assumed that this was not going to happen to them it happened to people in pompeii as well Many people did get out of Pompeii when the, when Vesuvius started erupting, but actually around two thousand people never left because they just couldn 't imagine that the lives that they had known for so long would be taken away in an instant so it's, yeah it 's particularly pernicious normalcy bias when it comes to um, when it comes to disasters
1: The words climate change um, are flashing in my head as you. You, you say that because yeah. um, we we have had a, a, a world that we sort of expect to behave in a certain way for such a, a long amount of time. We just don't expect things to change so dramatically. There was a moment in everyone's life, everyone who's listened to this program, in everyone's life who um, where they experienced this. And I think it was COVID where we just yeah. didn't think the world would change so quickly. And, and yet it did. Um, yeah. Uh, and yet th- this normalcy bias, it must be a very powerful thing because the sun rises and sets every uh, every day. We assume that's going to continue forever. But of course, we're basing that all on previous data and, and, and we don't really know what's going to happen
0: tomorrow. Um, yeah, no, you're you're 100 right, and and yeah, those two examples come up a lot in the book, both climate change and uh, and COVID, and yeah, they're they're linked uh, inextricably to to this normalcy bias, which is linked to this linearity bias, and and also a misunderstanding of of exponential growth as well, so uh, and feedback loops. So in particular with with COVID. Um, there's uh, evidence from the early stages of pandemic to, to suggest that people who exhibit what's called exponential growth bias, so people who underestimate how uh, quickly a process is going to grow when it's growing exponentially, uh, and I should explain that exponential growth has, has a particular mathematical meaning. Uh, we often hear it in the media, meaning like large or big or fast, but it doesn't have to be that. And in fact, it, it really means something growing in proportion to its current size. So at the early stages of an epidemic, when you've even got very few cases and it seems to be growing relatively slowly because each person is passing the disease on to a roughly fixed number of people on average. Then the ex- the um, the epidemic grows exponentially. And so people who underestimate how quickly exponential growth is going to occur. Uh, are also less likely to uh, take mitigating measures like wearing masks, social distancing, testing, quarantine and isolation, because the the hypothesis is that they simply just don't understand what's coming around the corner. And so if we have leaders, for example, who are particularly um, uh, poor at understanding science or exponential growth in particular, then that might explain why some of the responses to COVID were particularly poor.
1: More scientists, politicians, I say. Um, you've given us some of the ideas from the book, um, you know, exponential growth, um, linearity bias, uh, survivorship bias, normalcy bias, and so on. Now that we've, we know about those, is there anything we can actually do about it, though? Because these biases are quite strong, they're quite human, and they're quite natural. I mean, if I am um, trying to assess how to behave in a future scenario, I don't really know what's going to happen. So can any of this actually help me?
0: So... Uh, at a, a wider societal scale, I, I think the argument is that we should be using quantitative modelling in order to understand what's going on. So, for example, in the pandemic, if you want to know what's going to happen, what cases are going to do in the future, you really need to build a mathematical model. And that mathematical modelling came in for a lot of criticism during the pandemic. Um partly because of another phenomenon that I talk about in the book, which is self-defeating prophecies. So if you make a prediction where 250,000 people are going to die, no government in the world can can allow that prediction to, to, to come to pass. And so they take measures to, to mitigate the spread, and, and that becomes a self-defeating prophecy. As happened in the UK, yeah. because they mitigated, the figures weren't
1: as bad, and everyone exactly, says, 250,000 exactly. people didn't die. And the point was, that's because yeah. we did the... Exactly. And it's, it,
0: seems, it seems so obvious <laughs> to say cruise, that, right? It? But it, it didn't stop people writing articles saying the models are always wrong because they predicted, you know, hundreds you know, of thousands of people dying. And that didn't happen in the first wave. And actually, if you look at the UK's pandemic death toll, of over 200,000, you know, those predictions really weren't that far off given all the mitigations, given the fact we had vaccines as well. And those predictions were for the case where we didn't do anything and we didn't have vaccines and we didn't take any mitigating measures and healthcare services could have become overwhelmed and so on. So yeah, it's sometimes modelling comes in for unfair criticism. Sometimes modelers do make genuine mistakes and, and the, the key thing to talk about modelling is, you know, modelers should lay out their assumptions and if you disagree with the assumptions that go into the model, then you should feel free to disagree with the outcome of those models. It's really important to communicate those assumptions. So that's a sort of societal level. Um, but I think just being aware of these biases and being aware of things like coincidences being surprisingly likely can can help us to think around Drawing incorrect conclusions when we do see these unusual events occurring. I think that understanding that yeah we might not be seeing the whole of the picture and we're actually just seeing the survivors in the process that can also be really helpful when we when we come to making decisions about whether the evidence that we're being presented with is the whole picture or whether it's just part of a picture that's being presented to us by a particular um, agent with a particular cause behind presenting us those figures. So we just we've got to be careful about those sorts of um, yeah survivorship type biases I think.
1: I was um, in my hotel room at midnight about two days ago and I realized I hadn't seen the rental car key in a while and Mm -hmm. I tore the apartment apart. I looked absolutely everywhere. I ran down to the restaurants I'd been to, to the hotel reception. I looked um, all around where the car was. I even considered diving into the water with a torch in the middle of the night trying to find the car keys. That's how desperate I was because we were three hours away from the airport and we had to leave that exact next morning. I gave up, woke up the next morning and thought, is it possible it's in the bin? Now you know that the bin bags in, a, in, a, in a, when it's already um, set up in an apartment, the bin bag it, it goes into the bin and covers the entire yeah. area. So it, it's yeah. impossible for the key to be underneath that bag and yet yeah. the minute we had to leave I pulled out the bag and underneath the bag there was the car key I cannot explain how on earth it got there but it got there and at that very moment I looked up to the sky and I said thank you <laughs> no, I'm an atheist I do not believe in God but it seems that even though I know unlikely things happen and I've, t- I've talked about probability for 11 or 12 years on this program yeah, I still find moments like that yeah. really powerful and even make me question reality sometimes yeah. so yeah uh, I, I recommend you give this a book a read but forgive yourself if you still make decisions that aren't always based in reality and in maths because we are human after all
0: yeah a hundred percent, and what I don't want to do is ruin the magic of co- my family often uh, often you know get on me saying like you're ruining this coincidence this was really this was really fun, and you've ruined it but actually like <laughs> what for me, the magic of coincidences is, isn't that they or you know unusual facts isn't that they happen it's it's that we spot them right so there are all sorts of great coincidence stories which people have told me since writing the book, people who've you know gone on holiday and they've sat in a restaurant um and then on the opposite side of the restaurant they seen the next door neighbor and neither of them knew that they were going on holiday and for me like the magic of coincidences is the fact that you actually spotted each other that you weren't in the next door restaurant or you weren't seated in the in a way that you couldn't see each other you know that actually that you came up and you spotted this coincidence i love hearing people's coincidences stories and i don't want to steal the magic of coincidences at all because they're they're brilliant and they make such fantastic stories and they do make us want to be like, oh, that's a bit spooky, isn't it? That's a bit weird. But of course, I guess I just want to emphasize that there are lots of coincidences, lots of ways in, in which things can spook us out. Um, but yeah, there are lots of different ways in which coincidences or unusual events could happen and lots of people to whom they could happen too.
1: And of course, there are lots of coincidences that happen that we don't spot. And the waiter in that Stop restaurant could easily be in, uh, be in one of your illegitimate children that you never knew about. Um <laughs> Brilliant, Uh, Dr. Kit Yates from the University of Bath and author of *How to Expect the Unexpected: The Science of Making Predictions*. Thanks very much for joining us.
0: Thanks so much. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae, proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.